All right, we're going to look at the book of Acts this morning, and I've entitled this Profile in Courage. And uh, that was a book that President John F. Kennedy wrote a book entitled Profile in Courage years ago. In fact, every year there's a Profile in Courage award. It's given at the Kennedy Center around the time of the late President Kennedy's birthday, which was May 29th. And they pick out some people who exhibited political courage and in the, the face of political pressure stood stood firm and and had some convictions and so every year the profile in courage award is given at the Kennedy's uh, library in Boston some of the past recipients uh, Gerald Ford George Bush Barack Obama Mitt Romney John McCain all people that are involved in politics I started to think about, what if we had a Profile in Courage Award in, in Scripture? Who would be some, some candidates, not that exhibited, obviously, political courage, but spiritual courage? Oh, and as I thought about that, there's a long list of people that could possibly qualify for that Profile in Courage Award. I, I thought of the um, two ladies... In Exodus chapter 1, you remember Shipra and Pua? Great names, aren't they? Who are Shipra and Pua? Those were the Hebrew midwives. Remember, as uh, Israel's population was growing rapidly, it was becoming a threat to the Pharaoh, and so he gave an edict to the Hebrew midwives, and when a male child is born... You are to kill that baby. And we read that in Exodus chapter 1. That was the edict that the Pharaoh gave. And here's what uh, Exodus 1.17 says. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. And they let the boys live. The Pharaoh says, do this. And these Hebrew midwives says, nope, because we fear God more than we fear you. So Pew and Shipra would probably be good candidates for the Profile and Courage Award. How about Joshua? We just read Joshua 1, 6 through 9. Now Israel's ready to go into the, the promised land. They're going into military mode, and uh, there's giants in the land, and uh, God tells Joshua, be, be strong, be courageous. I've already given you this land. And Joshua leads a central campaign, a northern campaign, a southern campaign, and they conquer the land of Canaan very courageously in following God. How about three teenagers, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, taken captive by the Babylonians and taken a thousand miles from their home? King Nebuchadnezzar builds a 90-foot-tall golden statue, and he gives a command and edict. He says, Every time you hear the trumpet sound, you need to bow down and worship this statue. And uh, we read in the book of Daniel that uh, everybody did, except for three teenagers. And they got called on the carpet for it, got reported. And now they're ready to pay with their lives. They're going to be ready. They're They're about to be thrown into the fiery furnace, but... Here's what they said to the king. 
Daniel 3.16, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Listen to this. But even if he does not, even if we die today, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. There's some courage right there from some teenagers that said, hey, I'd rather die than serve your God. How about Daniel himself? The edict comes that they're trying to trap Daniel and they pass a law. You cannot pray to any other God or there's punishment. You're going to be in big trouble. And that edict was given and it says, Daniel... Didn't change one thing. He prayed three times a day. He would open his windows and pray, and he just continued praying. And of course, he got thrown into the lion's den for it, and and God protected him. We could go on and on. Uh, think about Esther and the story of Esther and the courage that that Esther showed. But this morning, as we look in Acts chapter four, I'm going to suggest that we have a couple other candidates that would qualify for the Profile and Courage Award, and it would be Peter and John. Peter and John, and we're going to see why in just a little bit. So let's look at uh, Acts chapter 4, and uh, just a little review of the storyline. We looked at Acts chapter 3 last last Sunday. So Peter and John are going to uh, the, the prayer hour. They're going to church. And as they walk into the, the temple courts, there's a beggar there who has been there every day of his life begging for money. He's over 40 years old. And Peter and John um, look at him as he's begging for money. And Peter says, um, silver and gold, I have none. But what I have, I'm going to give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm, I get up and walk. And the man was healed. And we looked earlier in the Gospels that um, that Jesus gave the apostles authority and power to heal people, to cast out demons, and to proclaim the kingdom. And so here's this man that's been sitting there for years and years begging. Now he's healed in the temple courts. He gets up and he's running and he's jumping and he's praising God. And it causes all sorts of a commotion. And people are wondering what's happening Uh Perhaps they think Peter and John are some sort of gods. And Peter responds and says, no, let me tell you how this happened. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the one who has healed him. This is done through the power of Jesus. And so Peter goes on to give another sermon. Uh, Acts 2 is the Pentecost sermon. Here's the one that uh, follows up his healing of the lame man. And he preaches powerfully about the resurrection of Jesus. Now that created a problem with the religious leaders of the day. Here's this unschooled, uh, former fisherman, uneducated, and he's there on our turf, and he is proclaiming Jesus crucified, buried, and resurrected. And uh, all of a sudden the authorities are not happy. And that leads us um, to the first uh, thought here in our outline. The seizure of Peter and John, the priest and the captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. So while Peter's preaching, 
the, the, the religious leaders, the, the temple guard come up and say, no more. It would be like if uh, somebody came in in the middle of our sermon this morning and just said, you need to stop preaching about Jesus. And so uh, they're interrupted in the middle of their preaching. Uh, says they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Um, the Sadducees, this religious sect, one of their marks was that they did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. And so now Peter is preaching something that is 180 degrees opposite of what their belief system is. And so that's why they stop them. It says they seized them because it was evening. They put them in jail until the next day. At least in the book of Acts, they're the first ones of many who will spend time in jail for their faith. But then as we read, but many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So the book of Acts is tracing the, the growth of the church. Started out with 120 in the upper room, Acts 1. Acts 2, Pentecost, Peter preaches, 3,000 come into the kingdom. Now we got 3,120. Now Peter preaches this message in Acts 4. Um, more people believe, and so now there's like 5,000 believers uh, that make up the early church. Well, if you think it's, it's far-fetched that somebody would come into a church and interrupt a, a pastor in their preaching, I'm going to tell you this morning, that is not far-fetched. It is happening around uh, many places today. And uh, probably north of our border in Canada is probably a, a little more of a precursor of what's probably going to happen in the United States. Here's an article from the uh, Charisma News um, entitled, uh, dated rather, April 16th of this year. It says, unfortunately, persecution against pastors in Canada is becoming the norm. Pastor Arthur Pawalski jailed repeatedly for non-compliance with COVID protocols during the pandemic, was recently released from prison after 51 days of solitary confinement. Since he lost count of the criminal charges the Canadian government has brought against him, 36-year-old Reverend Derek Reamer was arrested last week, this is April of this year, on outstanding warrants for protesting near a drag queen storytime event. He spent Resurrection Sunday in jail and now faces eight new charges, including criminal harassment and causing a disturbance. Pawlowski told Fox News Digital that Reamer's arrests indicate Canadians, uh, the Canadian government's open hatred toward Christianity. Well, Peter and John are proclaiming the resurrection and the religious elite say, you can't do that, and they haul them off to a night in jail. And now uh, the sun rises, it's the next day. Let's look at the suspects interrogated. And uh, verses 5 through 7. The next day the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. This is the Sanhedrin council, made up of 70 religious leaders. That was kind of like the Supreme Court in religious issues of, of the day. 
And so now they're meeting together. What are we going to do with Peter and John? Because we have a problem. And uh, it says that Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. Um, Both Annas and Caiaphas, high priests, were involved in the crucifixion of Jesus. And so they're meeting, and uh, it says that they bring Peter and John before them, and they begin to question them. Here's their question. By what power or what name did you do this? Talk about an open door. <laughs> How did you do this? Who, who gave you the power to do this? And now they're going to talk about Jesus. And uh, so they're asking, by what power or what name did you do this? And, and soon uh, Peter's going to preach a sermon about that, that name to them. And so let's look at Peter's spirit-filled response. Here's verse 8, the spirit-filled response. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Three power sources in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit, um, prayer, prayer is all over the book of Acts. The Word of God, the apostles were giving great declarations of the resurrection of Jesus and the power of the Word of God. But here's the power source of the Holy Spirit, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. By the way, would that describe your life this morning? Ephesians five sixteen says, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Allow the Spirit of God to um, influence and control and lead your life. And it's to be something that happens continually. And so Peter's uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and here he is talking <clears throat> excuse me, to the religious elite. And he's this uneducated disciple who spent three years with Jesus. Here's what he says to them. Rulers and elders of the people. If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. Here it is. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And then I can almost picture him pointing his finger at the Sanhedrin, whom you crucified. (laughs) You killed the Messiah. But God raised him from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. It was done in the power in the name of Jesus. And then he goes on to quote Psalm 118, verse 22. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And then here's this great declaration. Here it is. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Wow. Peter apparently hasn't taken the course uh, how to win friends and influence enemies because he's like, he's like, man, you, you guys killed Jesus. You killed the Messiah. And by the way, salvation is found only in the name of Jesus. Truth is exclusive, isn't it? There's only one way to heaven. Jesus declared that. John 14, 6. I am not a way, a truth, or 
life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And the sad part in the world today that there are many, many people who are sincere in their beliefs and sincerely trusting in something to try to get them to heaven, but they're trusting in the wrong thing. Because your belief and your trust is only as good as the object of your trust. And Peter declares that there's only one person, there's only one name by which we may be saved. And so you can have lots and lots of faith, but if the object of that faith isn't worthy of it, then it's not going to do you much good. I don't know if you remember this news story, if you're a little older like I am, um, 1982, there was a tragedy in the Chicago area because somebody had laced Tylenol with cyanide poisoning. And people went into the drugstore and got Tylenol and were sick and thought they were taking something that they could put their trust in and found out that it led to their death. Just a quick Summary here, on a Thursday morning in 1982, a 12-year-old girl in suburban Chicago woke woke up feeling sick. Her parents decided to keep her home from school. She took a dose of extra-strength Tylenol. Soon after she swallowed the familiar red and blue pills, her parents found her deceased on the bathroom floor. Later that afternoon in a nearby suburb, a 27-year-old man felt a muscle ache. He took several extra-strength Tylenol and collapsed. He died that evening. His younger brother took several Tylenol and passed the bottle to his wife. Both soon died. Seven, seven people died in Chicago in 1982 because they had faith that they were taking extra strength Tylenol. And the truth of the matter was it was also laced with poison. Your faith is only as good as the object that it has put in. So Peter declares there's, there's only salvation through Jesus. And that's why we have uh, um, missionary outreach. That's why we need to pray for Tim and G. Kavanaugh and uh, missionaries that we are connected with and supporting uh, so they can uh, declare and proclaim exactly what uh, Peter did. Salvation is found only in Jesus. Well, that leads us to the Sanhedrin's decision. And uh, they they find themselves in a little bit of a quandary. And so let's look at the Sanhedrin's decision, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, who uh, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Uh, the Sanhedrin was like, the PhDs of the day, and they're looking at Peter's, who's a Galilean fisherman, and they're trying to explain all this, and they're amazed, and they note that they've been with Jesus, is their conclusion. And it says, when they saw their courage, they noted that. Verse 14, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So there, the evidence is right there. This man who's been begging for years is, is now healed. And so um, they're in a little bit of a quandary. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. So they went into an executive decision. Like, what? Uh, we're not sure what to do here. 
uh, obviously there was a miracle that happened in the name of Jesus, and so um, we're not sure what to do, and so they go into this executive decision, what are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. Word spreads fast. And this word of this miracle had already spread throughout the city of Jerusalem. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, (coughs) we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name, the name of Jesus. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Here's the courage of Peter and John. Here's the, here's the, the Supreme Court of the day, and they're saying, do not speak about Jesus, do not teach about Jesus anymore. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After they, after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Well, there's, uh, the kind of the conclusion of the story. Um, and they told Peter and John, no more preaching, no more teaching in Jesus' name. And Peter and John said, sorry. We're going to obey God rather than man. And that took, took great, uh, great courage on their part. Well, this morning, let's just in our uh, last 10 minutes here, uh, think about some life lessons that <clears throat> we can learn from John or from Acts chapter four and the story of Peter and, and John. And here's the first one is this. God calls you and I to be courageous. God calls you and I as followers of Jesus to be courageous Christians. Uh, isn't it interesting when Peter and John are before the, the Sanhedrin council, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John. Uh, where did they get that courage from? It says later on that they knew they had been with Jesus. <clears throat> and God calls us to be courageous uh, we didn't mention this, the, the details of the story of Esther, but, but God, oh, the, the sovereignty of God is all through the book of Esther, and God places Esther, a Jew, at just the right time, what, to intervene and to save the entire Jewish nation. And she risked her life to speak up and to intervene. And when she was deciding to do, whether to speak or whether to stay silent, the advice that she got, I think it was from her uncle, is like, maybe God has brought you to this place and time for such a time as this. And so wherever we are in our, our walk and our sphere of influence, our work, our neighborhood, God has called us to be courageous. It takes courage to speak about the name of Jesus. It takes courage to let others know that you're a follower of Jesus. It takes courage to speak the truth in love, and yet that's what God has called us to do. And so God calls us, uh, just like he called Joshua and and Peter and John, he calls us to be courageous Christians in in sharing God's God's truth. Well, as we think about sharing God's truth, um, remember the three open prayer. And so if we're thinking about um, 
being courageous and sharing the gospel. Uh, I learned this years ago from a fellow by the name of Ron Hutchcraft, who was involved with Youth for Christ and uh, has a ministry to Native American Indians and a tremendous ministry. And uh, he talks about the three open prayer. Here it is. Before we talk to people about God, we need to talk to God about people. And so uh, here's the three open prayer. We won't look at all the verses, but the three open prayer is this. Colossians 4, 3, Lord, would you open a door for me to share the gospel? An open door is an opportunity to share the gospel. What was Peter and John's opportunity? Uh, they flat out asked them, by what name or power did you do this miracle? And there was their open door. And when we're praying about an open door uh, to share the gospel, then we're much more aware of opportunities that come our way. And so, Lord, would you give me an open door uh, secondly, it's from Acts 17.4. It talks about Lydia, the first European convert. It says the Lord opened her heart to the message. Nothing's going to happen in a person's life when you share the gospel unless the Spirit of God and, and God uh, opens up their heart and draws that person to himself. And so, Lord, would you open their heart to the gospel? And then Colossians 4.4, the third part of the open door, three open prayers. Lord, would you open my mouth? Paul says, pray that I might proclaim the gospel boldly. And sometimes that's the most hard, the hardest part, isn't it? Is uh, to, to speak and, and to share uh, the good news of the gospel. So um, courageous Christianity. God's, God's called us, and it's very clear. Um, we, we are his witnesses, Acts 1.8. Um, we're his instruments to uh, to share the good news of the gospel. Here's here's the third reminder, and we've already um, mentioned this, but Jesus is the only way to heaven. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Uh, our culture today has uh, um, uh, called a post truth culture. Um. It's hard because people say, well, that's your truth, but I have my truth. And uh, what we need to realize is that uh, truth is exclusive. There's only one right answer to two plus two. It's not three, it's not two, it's not five. It's, it's four. Truth is exclusive. And Jesus is the only way to heaven. That was the proclamation. Salvation is found in no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Uh, and Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. And that pathway, that road, that gate, that door is, is Jesus. Uh, the one who gave his life on the cross, the one who shed his blood for our sins, the one who took our place. Um, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that's the exclusive nature of the gospel. I mentioned last week, and I'll mention it again, as my had a chance to visit my mom three times over in Grand Rapids in the last last month. 
And uh, she was a pastor's wife for whole, most of her adult life. First husband died at 39 and then married my dad and was married to him for 39 years and uh, in, in the pastorate. She was a prayer warrior. She was an evangelist. And every worker that came in that room should introduce herself. And then she said, especially in that last week or 10 days, she just ask the question, do you know Jesus? And she led three workers to Christ in her dying days. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Lastly, and then we're done. Here's a fourth thought. Uh, be prepared for boldly standing for the truth, which we will have to do in our culture. And as our culture moves further and further away from truth, uh, there's, there's not going to be, uh, you're not going to be able to be a secret closet Christian. You're, you're going to have, eventually we're all going to have to, to take a stand. And uh, one of the ways that we can do that boldly and courageously is by knowing God intimately. Notice the Sanhedrin said, we, we notice their courage and we notice that you guys have been with Jesus. And what gave Peter and John that courage? It was, it was time with Jesus. Daniel chapter 11, verse 32. But the people who know their God will be strong and will act. And so it's this intimate fellowship and relationship with Jesus and experiencing his presence and experiencing his power and knowing the promises of God that will give you and me courage to speak truth and to stand for God. What was it that enabled Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were looking at at death to be courageous? It's because they knew where they were going. Even if God doesn't deliver us, we know where our eternal destiny is, and it gave them courage. Well, I don't know what circumstance you're facing this morning that requires courage. But I'm sure there's some things in your life that are going on where uh, we need to be strong and we need to be courageous and we need to be bold and standing for him. In many places around the world, accepting Jesus means the loss of your friends, the loss of your family, sometimes the loss of your life. And here in the United States of America, we haven't gotten to that point yet, but change is coming, and we need to be strong and courageous to speak the truth in love, to identify as a follower of Jesus, to share the gospel, to do what's right when everyone else is doing wrong. I pray that you'll have that courage and that God will give you the strength to do that. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, thank you for the examples in the Bible of people who were courageous. Thank you for the courage of Peter and John, who in the face of the Supreme Court of the day, when they were told not to speak or preach or teach in the name of Jesus, said, We're going to continue to speak and talk and preach about the things that we have seen. And Lord, I pray for every person here this morning that is facing a situation that requires courage.
Not political courage, but spiritual courage. Help us to be strong in the Lord. Help us to put on daily the armor of God. Help us to be bold and courageous and speak the truth in love to a world that desperately needs to know that Jesus is the only way. We will thank you and give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.